Okay, so we're approaching the Svasnemis, which is going to be explaining an interaction of Yaakov and Esav based on a statement of his grandfather. And the groundwork is that Yaakov and Esav represent things. Yaakov represents Am Yisrael. Esav represents not only the nation and that empire, which eventually becomes Edom and then Rome, um, leading to this fourth Gullus that we're still working our way through. But Esav identifies with the spiritual force of the Yitzhahara. That's why when it says, ish imo, that this unidentified man who wrestles with Yaakov in the Parsha is the Sar Shel Esav, the spiritual force behind Esav. And that is the Yitzhahara. So the interactions between Yaakov and Esav are really laying the groundwork for the interactions of every individual Jew with the Yitzhahara. Nationally, the Jewish people with different forms of opposition, to the extent that they say that Gedoli Yisrael, when they had to interact with non-Jewish authorities, whether from the government or the church in Europe, they used to review this parsha and see how Yaakov dealt with Esav in order to prepare. So the Chedush Yerim, the Svasemis' grandfather who brought him up, zoned in on a very small aspect of the gift which Yaakov sent to Esau. There's a lot of ink in the Torah about the gift which he sent to Esau. Not only what was in the gift, but how it was packaged, how it was delivered, the space between each one, the psychological insight he had into what would get Esau excited about the gift. But he also tells the shlichim, tells the messengers who are bringing the gifts, he gives them dialogue. And this is what he tells them. He says, Right, Vayitzav, I'm sorry, Vayitzav Adarishon Lemor, there's in Paraklamid based Pasuk Yudches, he told the first group that are going to be bringing animals to Esav, he says, Kiv Goshcha Esav Ochi, when my brother Esav will meet you, Ushelcha Lemor, and he will ask you, saying, Lemi Ato, who are you connected to? Vaanatelech, and where are you going? Ulemi Ele Lefanecha. And to whom are these flocks, animals in front of you? So Yaakov isn't really saying this is just in case. He's saying this will happen. This question will be asked. And I'm going to tell you how you have to answer it. Va'amarto, and you will say to Esau, la'avducha Yaakov, that these things belong to your servant Yaakov, mincha hishlucha, they are a gift which is sent, Ladoni le'esav, to my master Esav, v'hinei gam hu'acharenu. And behold, he is coming from behind us. So it seems in the pshat, like a, just like a gift card, <laughs> it came with it, say, let him know who it came from, right, a few little compliments in there, and to let him know that this is just, you know, the appetizer, and Yaakov himself is going to be coming after you receive these gifts. So, there's a little bit of technical difficulty in what the Chidush Yerim and the Svasemis are going to do here. Um, and let's not get caught up too much in the technicals, but zone in on the message. Chidush Yerim said, these questions, the questions that Esav ask, are similar to the way the Yitzhahara learns a famous mission in Pirkei Avos. There's a mission in Pirkei Avos, which... Unfortunately, people are familiar with because it's said at funerals. It's said at funerals usually before they take the body out to Kavura. 
Akavio ben Mahalalel Omer, Akavio ben Mahalalel said, right, Dame ayin bosa, know where you came from, Ula ona toholech, and where you're going, Vilifne miata osik vliting din vicheshman, and who you're going to have to give an accounting to. And then he provides the answers. Me'ayin bosa mitipos rucha. You came from a tiny drop of biological matter, right? Decaying biological matter. Where are you going? To a place of dirt, decay, and worms. And who are you going to have to report to? So, and this is just a fascinating phenomenon he's pointing out. The Yitzhahara utilizes Torah. Yitzhahara doesn't just utilize temptations and physical things. He shows you Torah and he reads the Torah with his intonation and with his direction. So he says, the Yitzhahara asks you those questions. And what do those questions do? Imagine if you had that on your alarm clock. Your alarm clock in the morning, right? You set it for whatever, 6.30, it goes off. Right? Know where you're coming from. Know where you're going to, to a place of rotting and worms. And who's going to get out of bed? You just put the cover over your head and you don't want to move. So he says, the Yitzhahar knows how to ask those questions in order to bring a person to worry and to sadness. Okay? Now, again, historically, this was one of the shifts that the Baal Shem Tov fought for. There was a style of the Magidim, of people who would go around, they called them itinerant preachers. They would give drushas. This was before Netflix. So people at night, you finished your day of work. So they would put up a sign and there was a drusha on shul. And there were rabbis who went around making their living giving these drushas. And the form that they usually took was telling you how bad you are and how much you're going to suffer because you're so bad. You're bad, you're ignorant, and you're going to pay for it. And this was destroying people. And the Baal Shem Tov fought against this very much, against this trend, and took an entirely different style. He says, because the bottom line of this is daigavatsvas. Okay, now he's going to return in a little bit as to how the proper way to read it is that it's inspiring and not depressing. But, he says, the questions that are being phrased here in the Torah from Esau are similar to the Yitzhahara's reading of that Mishnah. And here's how they go. He asked, Lemi Atta, right? Who are you? Right? You're, you're a little schnook, right? You have, you have no power. Spiritually, you're a midget. Physically, you're not much of anything. Right? He asks, Where do you think you're going to get to with what you're doing? Right? Right? These things you have in front of you, meaning your mitzvahs and such, what do you think is going to become of those? Do you think they're worth anything? Okay, so he says, Yaakov Avinu was coaching us, each of us, how to answer. He said, you have to strengthen yourself and answer those questions. Says, you don't know who I am. It's true. If I were alone, I'm part of Avdecha Yaakov. Every single Jew is part of not only every Jew in our generation, every Jew that ever was and every Jew that will be. 
That's the concept of Klal Yisrael. When you're looking at me, you're right. I'm insignificant myself. But do you realize what I'm part of and who I'm part of? That's La'avdecha Yaakov. He says, Al Meaning, if a, you decide, bitul is a very hard word to translate, okay? Because usually they translate the word bitul as having to do with nullifying, right? Which sounds like something the bad guys do to you in a science fiction book or something. Put them in the nullifier. It doesn't mean that you nullify and you become nothing. Bitul is more the fancy English word that would fit is to be subsumed meaning to become part of something much bigger, okay? And therefore, every Jew who is part of that, when the Esav slash Yetzirah asks, who do you think you are? You have an identity that's not limited to just you, but your identity is what you are part of. And therefore, he says, Klal Yisrael is always chavivin lafan of Yisrael. If I connect myself to what's called Klal Yisrael, they're always precious to Hashem. And therefore, no matter who I am, no matter what I am, the very fact that I'm part of that makes me special. Now, when he asks, what is this that you're bringing, right? In the pshat, he's asking about this gift. You say, mincha hi shlucha. It is a mincha which is sent. Now, the word mincha is a unique word for a gift. Mincha also corresponds to a korban. The korban mincha has a unique status. The Torah introduces the korban mincha, which is the flower offering, flour and a little bit of oil, with the phrase, nefesh kiyakriv mikem. No other korban gets such an introduction. When your soul, or one of the souls of Am Yisrael, brings this korban. So Chazal say, why that introduction? Because the person who brings a korban mincha has nothing more. It's called minchat oni. It's called the korban mincha of the poor person. Chazal also refer, referred to it as the korban of dale dalut, the poorest of the poor. And you have to imagine, right, in the Beis Hamikdash, there were certain korbanos that were called the korban olev yoret, that the type of korban you brought depended on your financial status. A wealthy person would bring an ox. A person with less money would bring a sheep. Other people would bring birds. And the poorest of the poor would bring a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. So you imagine that person standing online in the base of Migdash. There's a guy there right, with an ox this big. Another guy's got a lovely sheep. Right? Somebody's got a cage with a few nice birds. And you're standing there. Somebody say, what are you standing here for? I'm bringing a carbon. Yeah, but where's your carbon? I got it. I don't see any carbon. Where's your carbon? <laughs> he pulls out a little plastic bag of flour. He says, okay, that's my carbon. That's all I can afford. That's it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, because he brings from that little that he has, that's the most precious of all. He's actually bringing himself. Right? In, in many ways, we'll just connect it to a fascinating parish on a disturbing Mishnah. Some people are doing the Mishnah. Yomis learned this recently. When you'd bring the Bikurim to the Beis Amigdash, you would bring the Bikurim in a basket. Okay? Now it says that the poor people used to bring baskets that were woven out of willow twigs, arava twigs. The wealthy people would bring baskets that were gold-plated or silver-plated. And it says that the 
wealthy people got their baskets back. But the poor people, with their willow baskets, the Kohanim kept those and didn't give them back. And Chazal said, that's what it says, Basar Anya Azia Aniyusa. Poverty leads to more poverty. Right? You're poor, there you go. You don't even get your basket back. Okay, so in Hasidish Yisrael, they saw a different take on this. They said, a guy who's got his money and he's preparing to go to Yushalayim to bring his Bikurim. So he goes to a jeweler, a silversmith, a goldsmith. He says, I want a basket that's going to make a statement. I want a basket that everyone's going to be talking about when I come to Yushalayim. Right? I want little towers on it. I want little golden birds. I want all sorts of things on there, a crown. And he gets that basket. And he comes, and he brings it. You know, he's making sure that everybody gets the pictures. Hashem doesn't want that basket in the base of English. Take that back. A poor person took some willow trees, a rubber, and he wove it together. And he made a basket. I want those to be with the Kahanim in the base of English. That's uh, the way they look at that there. So that's the same concept of the minchas ani. Okay, so therefore, the voice that's described here, again, every voice is a meta voice. The voice of Esau is the voice of the Sahara is the voice inside of us, looking at our mitzvahs and seeing how poor they are in quality and quantity. It says, but nonetheless, if that's what you were able to bring, Right? And that's what came out. That's so precious to Hashem. It's not the way it seems. It's seen through other eyeglasses. The last is La Adonila Esav, meaning, he says, meaning, it's true, it might not look like much, but I had to fight a lot of opposition to bring out what I brought here. The force of Esav, so to speak, the force of the Esav, the force of all these things are fighting against me. So therefore, even if what comes out doesn't look like much, it's a huge victory, right? It's something which is the victorious product of a huge battle. And choshuv lefonov yizborach komash b'nei Yisrael osin af ma'at And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu values everything we do even if it's a tiny bit, just like a lot. Because there's so much more to it. There's so much more in that battle. And this has to be understood, right? Uh, no one can judge anybody else. In Pirkei it says, Don't judge your friend until you've reached his place. And a person's place isn't just their geographical place. It's everything that makes them who they are their past, their psychological and physical conditions, everything which is there, that's what makes the person. So therefore, you shouldn't be judging another person's mitzvah. There's a frightening Gemara, which tells the story about Rebbe Lazar. Most Mepharshim say this is Rebbe Lazar, Reb Shimon, the son of Reb Shimon by Yochai, who was riding on a donkey by the river, and it says he felt good because he had learned a lot of Torah that day. And suddenly he sees... An ugly man, Adam Mechur. So he says to the person, but also adding to it, he almost addresses him in the third person. Kama Mechur Hai Gavra. How ugly is this guy? He says, maybe 
are all the people from your town ugly like you? Maybe come from a place called Uglyville or something like that? So this is shocking, right? That, that a person of that stature would, would speak to somebody like this? The man tells him, he says, Lech shebra'ani, Go and tell the craftsman who made me, what an ugly kli he made. So here, Belazar of Shimon realized that he had said something wrong, and he says, forgive me. The guy says, no, not forgiving you. I gave you your instructions. Go tell the manufacturer that he messed up. He made something ugly. And the man was walking home, and Belazar of Shimon was going behind him, asking for forgiveness, and the guy wasn't doing it. When they get to his town, the people came out and they see Rabbi Reb Shimon and they start going, Rebbe, Rebbe. And he said to them, that's who you're calling Rebbe? You know what he said to me? Right? And I guess, I don't know if he told them what he said about them too. Right? And they told him, still, you should forgive him because he's a big person. And here, they finish with the punchline. Chazal said, from here we learn a person should be rach kekone, flexible like a reed, and not kosher keerez not hard like a cedar tree. Now, some of Farshim apply that to the idea of forgiveness, right? That be flexible, forgive a person, don't hold on to it. Rameir of Premishlan explained the whole thing in this way. Again, obviously, a five-year-old kid, we would expect to not go, whoa, you're so ugly, right? It doesn't make any sense. It lets, if imagine that the person had some type of physical deformity, why would he do that? It's Asr Minatara, clearly, it's Aleph based. What is the point of saying, is everybody where you come from ugly like that? Is, is it something that transmits within a city? He said, obviously he was talking about spiritual avoda. He saw a man doing some type of avoda Hashem in a way that was strange to him, in a way that he found ugly. Right? Maybe he was davening really loud. Maybe he was jumping up and down. Maybe, who knows what he was doing, waving his tzitzis around like a helicopter. I, I don't know what he was doing, but he thought, man, that, that's ugly. And maybe that's the custom in your town. Is that what you guys all do? He told him, he says, you don't know my world. You have no idea of my world. You're a Elizabeth of Shimon. You grew up in an environment of Kedusha, and you do your mitzvahs your way. Do you realize what I have to battle with when I try to do a mitzvah? Do you realize what memories I have in my head? Do you realize what thoughts come to torture me? Do you realize what things are there? This is what I do that works for me. That's this idea of that mincha, of this that a person brings. Where it comes from inside is what's so important about that. Now, that was what his grandfather said. The Svasemis himself adds on to finish off the phrase in the Pasuk. The messengers were to say to Esau, and he is behind us, which in the Pshat means Yaakov Avinu is coming. He says, this can be explained talking about Hashem. We have to realize that everything we do we start, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu can help it go in all sorts of ways. That's a posseg until lakel gomer alai. Hashem finishes these things that we start. The ma'at adam matchil, the little bit that a person starts, ozer lo Hashem yizbaruch shuchol igmor hakol karaoi. Hashem can help him finish it, right, in ways that are astounding. 
right, which are there. I'll take one tiny example just from our times. Uh, the Panovizhorov, who escaped from Lithuania, really through the, through the um, fingertips of the Nazis, through the claws of the Nazis. In fact, he actually traveled through Germany on his way to Eretz Yisrael. At one point in his journey, he also went by Rome, and he was in a taxi, and they say that he passed the Arch of Titus in Rome, and he asked the taxi to stop, and he just got out, said, you didn't win, and then he got back in the taxi. So he came there as he saw, really, um, just as World War II was starting, and he started to say, what we need is a huge yeshiva, a huge high-level yeshiva, and I'm going to make it. And people, and I spoke to people who were alive at the time, they viewed him as someone who unfortunately had, had a breakdown because of what he went through, right? His wife, his children, his community, his yeshiva, everyone was wiped out. So he used to go around to shoals trying to raise money. He was asked to be able to speak between Mincha and Mayrev. And, you know, somebody told me after we would walk out, people would go like, poor guy. You know, he's in this fantasy world of this thing, and when he finally got a plot of land in B'nai Brak, land is a, not even an accurate world, it was sand, basically. B'nai Brak in the old days was some citrus orchards and these things, and he used to like take people on this tour and say, okay, here's the library, it's gonna be a massive library, dining room, huge base medrash. He would go into a store that sold beds and he said, um, you know, I need to buy a couple beds for my yeshiva, but give me a cheap price because I'm going to be buying hundreds. And it seemed insane, but it happened. He tried, and in ways that were beyond understanding, that happened. He was certainly a dedicated fundraiser. Many, many fa fascinating stories about his fundraising. They say that they asked the Satmar Rebbe once if he thought there was life on the moon. And he said, no, I don't think so. They said, why? He said, because if there was, the Panavishurov would have gone there and made a parlor meeting. <laughs> he said, <laughs> that was, he would have gone to, um, there was, uh, there's a man I knew, uh, or I knew the man's daughter. She said that when the Panavishurov came to America to raise money, so he spoke in a shul, and her father was a little boy, and he was captivated by this man who spoke with such passion. And the Rav noticed a little boy paying attention during his whole drasha. So he came over afterwards and he said, did you understand my drasha? He said, I understand that you really, really need money. He said, you're the only one who understood my drasha. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it was something that happened. That's the, the last thing of an idea of lokel gomer alai, right? That we begin, we do the things that we have to do. We do the things that we have the ability to do. And the voices that come, the voices that say, it's nothing, it's insignificant, it's not possible, it's no good. These are the things that Yaakov Avinu wanted to pre present us with the answers for. Now it's interesting, the Svasemis finishes and it's a theme he comes to in other places. He says, avinu Yaakov avurenu. He says, Yaakov didn't have to go through any of this. He says, Lo oni. He says, Yaakov Avinu didn't have to have this argument with Esau. Yaakov Avinu was on a tremendously high level. And his deeds were very impressive. But he wanted to do that dialogue. 
He wanted to prepare for the spiritually impoverished descendants he would have who would feel bad or that others would make them feel bad about those few things that they did. Okay, and that was the strength that he gave. Now, this brings us to a fascinating topic which gets people worked up sometime. And you can debate it at night if you like. And I've seen the two sides of it. There's a famous statement in Pirkei Avot, right? Ezu Ashira Samech Bechelka. Who is wealthy? Someone who is happy with his portion. Makes sense to us, right? Because when a person says, I want to be rich, really means he wants to be happy. And if he's happy with what he has, he really has what he meant when he said rich. Does that apply to ruchani things as well? Does that apply to spirituality? Now, most people's reaction is, of course not. In Ruchnius, you've got to be hungry. In Ruchnius, you've got to feel that whatever I've done is just the tip of the iceberg, and I've got to do more. And to the extent of being dissatisfied with everything you do. There are some who say that, but there's a whole school of people, not just among the Hasidic, and the Beis Medrash of the Vilna Gon also, and the Bali Musr, who say, in Ruchnius, there's an idea of Ezu Asher Samech Bechalka. You should be happy with those things that you were able to do. <laughs> but how's the person going to progress? Isn't the pain, the torture of the, I'm no good, my mitzvahs are no good, my Torah is no good, isn't that the womb of growth and success? He says, no, that's the womb of suffering and eventually leading it, leaving it. Okay, I'll bring a couple of sources for this. Menachem Mendel Vitebsk, who was a Talmud of the Baal Shem Tov, and the Magid, one of the very, very first Hasidic Rebbe's who came to Eretz Yisrael, and, uh, and he, his shul still exists in Tiberia, by the water. So he said like this, one second... Yeah. He writes in a letter. He says, a general letter to my friends who are involved in Torah and Avodah. And many of you complain about machshavot zarot, that you get distracted by all sorts of other thoughts. You're not focusing in your davening and your Avodah. And he says, you know what? Hitavuta sibahu The main reason you're not there in the moment. You're not in the learning you're doing, the mitzvah you're doing, is because you're not happy with it. He says, why? Because you imagine, you imagine the way it really should be. Yeah, right? You call this learning, this isn't really learning. You call that a bracha, that's not really a bracha. Right? Chesed, that's not really chesed. He says, it's a klal godl batur liosamech bechelko gambe esekatur vavoda, imaatim harbe. It is a powerful rule to be happy with what you're doing in Torah and Avoda, whether it's a little or a lot. Enjoy it. Right? That sounds sacrilegious to so many people. If I enjoy it, am I, am I not saying that I'm great? No. You don't have to realize that you're great. You don't have to realize that you can't do more or better, but enjoy the fact that you're doing something positive. Sense it. 
He says, The nefesh itself was created to have a pleasurable experience. The nefesh wasn't created to be tortured and depressed in the world. And the nefesh wants pleasure. So he says, if you're not happy in your avodah, your nefesh is going to simply try to find pleasure elsewhere. He says, you're strangling your nefesh in your Judaism by this messed up dynamic of thinking that the best statement of righteousness and really understanding Judaism is putting it down. You see this phenomenon a lot of times when people start to reconnect to their Jewish roots. In the beginning, they really love it. You talk to them, wow, you know, I just kept Shabbat for two weeks straight. I love that, you know, and, and they taught me how to make Kiddush. I made Kiddush last week. That was awesome. And all these things. And they're just loving it. And then they like go to yeshiva or something like that. How are things? Eh, I know nothing. I do everything wrong. You know, how am I ever going to know all the halachas? I'm probably, you know, sitting every minute with everything I do. You know, <laughs> that's not the point of the exercise. That's not what's supposed to happen, right? It's supposed to be an exhilarating process of enjoying what you have while still aspiring to more. This is the muscle I give to it, okay? Let's say it's my wife's birthday. That already was. So I go into a jewelry store to buy something for her birthday. So I go in and they have these different like kind of headless mannequins with necklaces on it or something. So I see a nice sparkly necklace and I ask them, how much is that one? So I don't know if they do this around the world here, like they put it on a scale to see how much the gold weighs. So she puts it on and she says, that's 17,000 shekel. I say, okay, um, let's put that one on the side for a second because I'm doing a rethink and I remember my wife's other stuff much more subtle. She likes kind of more subtle jewelry. That, that's her look. That's how it goes. How about that one? 5,000 shekel. Okay, okay, nice. It's still not speaking to me. Eventually we get down to something that looks like dental floss made out of gold. You know, that if you hold it up to the light, you can see it. And she puts it into a little box and I take it home. So I can either say, uh, yeah, I got you a present. We don't have much money. So it's this like stupid little necklace. Or I can bring it with joy. I'm bringing my wife a present. That was the one I was able to do. Does it mean that I have to convince myself that there are no nicer necklaces in the world? No, I know that they're there. Is it supposed to depress me if I aspire to want to shower her with diamonds and rubies and I can't right now, but this is what I can give her? No. The two can go together. Have joy in what you're doing while still hoping to progress and to do any more. It should be a process that builds on itself. We're built that way, like the Vitebsker said. Since we're built to have pleasure and to enjoy, when something is a pleasurable experience, you want to up the ante and make it even more pleasurable by understanding it more, by investing in it more, by doing more, and that's the way that it'll progress. A second mistake that people make is they say, I can't say that Hashem enjoys my mitzvahs, right? Because there's, there's such poor grade, right? In other words, this, this whole concept, okay, I'm doing it because I have to, but it's probably not very good. Is a person able to say that Kodesh Baruch Hu has tainug, has pleasure, has nachas from the things that I'm doing? Rebbe Yitzchak Berdichev says, he says, Aklal, a person should know, a person is supposed to be very humble, right? Not to be uppity about the things I did. 
Veshema tomar ba'avdut Hashem gam kem ye'onav. So you're thinking your avodas Hashem, you're also supposed to be that humble? Chas v'shalom lomar kem. You shouldn't say like that. Adarabah, Adam tzrich lomar, masai shani yoseh mitzvat Hashem, chashuv etzla barit barach. The mitzvahs that I do are very significant to Hashem. Hashem enjoys them. Because if you put on this false humility and say, Mama say Hashem, ah, Hashem probably hates my mitzvahs. He said, This is apostasy. This is something important to Hashem. And he has tainug. And we particularly can't do the calculations as to how Hashem enjoys the mitzvahs. Because like the Rambam says, nobody knows who's a tzaddik and who's a rasha. You can't. Even if you have some app on your phone that tracks every mitzvah you do and every avera you do, and you add them up and you see, I did 23,000 mitzvahs and 17,000 averas, so I must be a tzaddik. He says, no, because everything is situational. How easy was it? How difficult was it? Where is it coming from? How it relates to you? Only Hashem sees that. And in the same way, he sees that mincha. He sees sometimes that that thing that you brought and where it came from. So I want to just finish with that story, an example of it that I, I felt very moving. It was connected to the idea of Shemitah, a few Shemitahs back in the time of the Ger Rebbe, the Beis Yisrael. So most of us this year in Shemitah, we got a srogim that were distributed by Otsar Beisdin, right? which is a way of distributing Shemitah fruit and get some compensation for the farmers. But some people really want to get an esrog that came from an orchard that was totally hefker. The owner declared it ownerless. He opened up the gates says, people, it's Shemitah, come pick Esrogim. Some people still do this. A friend of mine got some nice ones in an orchard near Beit Shemesh doing that. So there was a young boy, I believe he was an orphan, and he was from a family of Gerich Hasidim. And he had an uncle who opened up his orchard. That orchard was Hefker. And the buzz among the Gerich Hasidim was that the Gerich Rebbe really wanted such an Esrog, one that came from a Hefker orchard. So he went to his uncle's orchard as soon as the esrogim were getting ripe and he ran from tree to tree looking, 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 trying to find the best esrog he could find and then his uncle helped him clip it off the tree and he took it and he got online for the Kabbalat Kahal, for the hours when the Ger Rebbe would see people and he was carrying his little esrog. When he walked into the Rebbe's office, it happened to be that that day some of his gaboim, some of his assistants, brought in a few esrogim for him to choose from. Now he took a look at those esrogim that were there. These were the like Miss Universe esrogim that were there. They were perfect in every way. Shape, color, you, you name it. And suddenly, his esrog didn't look like much. So he tried to hide it behind his back. The Rebbe saw him. He said, what do you have there? He said, uh, an esrog, my uncle, was Mafkir's orchard. I brought for the Rebbe. He told the Gaboyim, take those away. This is the one I'm going to use. This is the eyes of how it's seen. 
right? The, the way in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu views things, and we have to learn to view these things as well. Yaakov Avinu taught us, you have to look at the repercussions, right? This idea, this, this false sense that putting myself down and being sad about the poor quality of my spirituality and my mitzvahs and all these things, that that is somehow holy. He says, but look at where it leads. It doesn't lead any place good. Realize the joy that Hashem has in your mitzvahs. Have that joy yourself in the mitzvahs. Realize that a little can be a lot. Always aspire to more, but appreciate the bits that you have because we're all rich. Have a wonderful week all.